0: Hi there, my name is Dr. Kimberly Ernest, I'm a licensed psychologist and licensed professional counselor and we are here today with the How to Be Happy Hour, talking all about how to maintain recovery uh, for those in recovery from substance use disorders during the holidays.
1: Hi, I'm Courtney Alangi, excited to be here. Um, I'm an outpatient therapist in Harrisburg, I do mental health and drug and alcohol counseling um, and I do some supervising as well.
2: My name is Richard Gibble. I'm a certified recovery specialist and a certified family recovery specialist for the REN facility for PCS.
3: My name is Mandy Newmaster. I am a licensed social worker and a certified case manager um, with about 15-ish years um, in
4: the field. My name is Jim Warwick. I'm I'm a drug and alcohol therapist at Pennsylvania Counseling Services Renaissance. I've been there for 19 years this November 26th. Yeesh. Yeah. Jim. Long time. Mm -hmm.
0: Happy anniversary. Yeah, Yeah, happy (laughs) anniversary. So we're here today to talk about uh, maintaining recovery during the holidays um, because each of us have worked within this field or have direct experience. Um, And what we know is that the holidays tend to be a time of like magic and joy. Um, and also if you do any sort of work within the recovery community, you know that this is a time, uh, wrought with challenges in terms of sustained sobriety. Um, for those in short-term recovery, as well as those in longer-term recovery, there are a lot of risks associated with the holidays. So as we lean in and start to navigate the ways in which people can maintain their recovery during the holidays, what advice or suggestions would y'all have um, or insights do y'all have into how we can maintain recovery during this challenging season? I think the word that, uh, when we first started talking about this podcast, the first the first thing that came
3: to my mind was boundaries mm. um, and how important they are in recovery in general, um, but especially when you might be going into, um, when you're new in recovery and going into a situation that's a little bit out of your comfort zone or out of the norm So, I think knowing your boundaries um, and then getting help with holding those boundaries Mm. is super important.
1: Yeah, and with that, I would say like knowing your signs of prelapse. So, knowing um, what kind of triggers might set you off. So, external, internal, sensory, um, what kind of things you need to make sure you look out for, and then have um, a relapse prevention plan in place, um, knowing who you can call, where you can go, uh, or where maybe you shouldn't go um, to help you maintain your recovery.
2: Yeah, I would go, I would agree with that. I, and the term I use, the support system. What is in my support system to help me get through some of these things, whether it's a, a 12-step meeting, a sponsor, somebody, a therapist, or family member, or somebody that I can go to with, you know, concerns that, oh, I'm not, that type of deal. So having a support system and utilizing the positive individuals in our support system, because we all have some people in our life that feel positive, but then they may give us something that, oh, don't feel so positive. Mm. So going with the ones that would more than likely help us than hinder us.
4: I think also that you have to be honest about your purpose to do things. Mm. Um, a lot of times we'll lie to ourselves about where we're going and what we're going to do. I'm going to this party because I want to be with the family, when in actuality I just want to be around that environment. Mm-hmm. kind of thing so having a specific purpose and being honest about that purpose are pretty important
0: hmm. it's interesting because what it, it, it each of you gave different I think really valid points of advice that can be incredibly helpful in navigating recovery during the holiday season and they don't all play nice with one another right Right. like you need to have boundaries but you need to have a support system but you need to be aware of your triggers and relapse functions but you also need to make sure that you're aware of your own purpose and and what's your driving force and um how do you have boundaries while maintaining a support system while maintaining that level of self-reflection while also attending to your context and your environment internal and external and Um, And how do you do all of that and still manage to, like, get your Christmas shopping done and get your tree up and be present with your kids? Like, how is that? How do you square these circles? Because those are a lot of competing demands. I would say planning.
2: You know, when I was out there doing what I did best, I always planned. And a holiday for me was just another day to do what I wanted to do. It it had nothing to do with Santa Claus or anything like that, like it did with my childhood. It had to do with what am I going to be able to do to get through the holiday with what I wanted to do.
5: Hmm.
2: And it was just another day to do more of what I like to do. And unfortunately, that was used. So with that, you know, planning, okay, is this a safe environment? Who can I go to? And, And like Jim said, being honest with yourself, to thine own self be true. Why do I want to go there? Do I have to go there? Hmm. You know, and just asking myself those difficult questions that if I can't answer them, maybe go to somebody that can help me answer them or somebody that won't give me a BS hmm. or sign my BS, cosign sign my BS, as they would say. Hmm. I don't need co-signers in recovery. I need somebody to point me in the right direction.
1: Sure. And I think with planning, like, I'm even thinking of, like, the matrix model that we use for the IOP curriculum. Like, um, there's a whole section in there where it asks clients to make sure that you fill out everything you're going to do hour by hour between now and your next
3: appointment. Um, So I totally agree with that, that planning is so important. (laughs) That's exactly what I was going to say, was I think sometimes you have to be really intentional and almost – over plan. Whereas, you know, I'm going to go to this family function. I know it might not be the healthiest environment. I'm going to stay for an hour. And then I have a friend who's going to call me and say, Hey, I need you for this or where you're, where you're literally planning out hour by hour, how you're going to stay sober and healthy in that chunk of time. Um, and I think sometimes that probably feels overwhelming. Um, because you're also doing the Christmas shopping and planning meals or whatever other holiday things you have going on. Um, but I think it goes back to the basics where uh, like the old cliche, what you, whatever you put before your recovery is what you're going to lose first. So I think the planning piece of how you're going to maintain your recovery is what makes those other things then easier to do um, in
0: the big picture. I found myself I, like as everyone's talking about those different pieces, also um, like the need to be present in anything that somebody's doing. Um, and I think that's essential for those in recovery, but I think that's essential for the human condition like to find our joy and um, to find meaning in that which we do. I think it's so easy to have one foot in or one toe in mm-hmm. um, and 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 I know that sometimes that's necessary to maintain your own safety is to, like, have a little bit of distance there. But I'm also thinking about, like, how do you be fully present with your kids on Christmas morning and also be planning on, like, your escape valve when, you know, crazy Uncle Joe shows up and drinks way too much and starts wanting to talk about the most recent school board election. Like, no thank you. Like, how do you... (laughs) How do you be present in the moment and with those really healthy, important, restorative relationships and be protective with those relationships that may not be, or those relationships or environments or contexts or whatever it is, that may not be recovery congruent? Well, I
4: think I, it, oh, here. go ahead. Well, I think the, one of the things that has to be, has to be addressed for the individual is his willingness. Hmm. It's an entirely it's entirely up to him. I mean like we can say support and this, that and the other thing, but his willingness to pay a price for his recovery or for his sobriety is paramount. And willingness, in my mind, maybe not other people's, is the measuring stick of how far I'm gonna go. Because I can you know, if I'm gauging it, I can say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be really enthusiastic about it, or I might not be so enthusiastic. And so that's going to determine my effort. It's Mm -hmm. going to determine my decision-making. So Mm -hmm. I I think that that's one of the things that, I, I think we forget the basics sometimes. We forget that, you know, it's honesty open-mindedness and willingness, and they take work, like Mm -hmm. legit work. And that's, I would encourage people to do that over, you know, even writing things down. You know, I'm writing down a purpose. Am I going to this party because I want, um, I care about my family and I love them, or do I want to test myself? Do I want to go and say, hey, you're really, you're really doing good, and you get those attaboys, boys. So hey, yeah, good. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in actuality, you're not doing really well.
3: Am I going because I know it might be dramatic, yeah. and I'm looking for a little bit of that drama in my life? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: I think that's that's a good point, Jim. Or am I going because there's going to be someone there that I hook up with later, and <laughs> they've got. Mm-hmm. So Whatever. rationalizing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it like, oh well, you know, like at least it's not cocaine, right? Like it's alcohol, <laughs> yeah, right. and that's not as bad. Right. So I mean, where where are we? Um, I know that in when I've worked like really intensely in the DNA field, there was always. Like the, well, but my neighbor has six DUIs and mm-hmm. I only have four, so why aren't you talking to him? It's like, because he's not in my office right now. But if he was, I'd talk to him about it too. Um, but there's always that kind of like mental gymnastics or that mindfuck mm-hmm. of like, well, it's not as bad as that. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. how do we, especially during the holidays, I think it's it's easy, uh, like two of the biggest triggers that I think folks in in, in recovery come into contact with are boredom and stress. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you have, like, moments of boredom because the routine is thrown off a little bit. And then you have way more stress than you do, and even positive stress. Like, you get to see people you don't get to see all that often, and there's stress on those relationships, even if it's just, like, excitement over seeing, like, long-lost cousins or grandma that lives five hours away or whatever it is. Um, The resources, it just smacks a little bit differently there Mm. and we might not guard against those things as regularly because we're out of our routine we're out of our norm
3: well and I think one of the other when you said about seeing family that you haven't seen for a while one of the other things that came to mind for me was especially for someone new in recovery if it's a family member you haven't seen for a while um the guilt and shame that Mm. can pop back up you know Mm -hmm. like you They know that you're in recovery, they know that you're doing your thing, whatever, Um, but if you haven't had that interaction with them or that contact with them, the first time you see grandma whose ring you stole, or the first time you see your cousin who you took 50 bucks from him the last time you guys were together, um, Hmm. I think, not that anyone forgets that they did that, but I think sometimes people, once you're in recovery, once you're working a program. you don't want to think about those things anymore. And then when you're like literally smacked in the face with it, like, "Oof, hi grandma. Like, sorry about the ring. Um, that stirs up all kinds Mm -hmm. of things that you maybe didn't even see coming. And so we talked, Mm -hmm. you know, before about all the planning and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's something that I think is important to plan for. Mm -hmm. Um, if you can think ahead that far. Yeah.
2: I know from my personal lived experience, holidays meant nothing. To be honest with you, they mm. meant nothing. It was just another day to get higher or drunker, whatever it was. And then early sobriety, what am I going to do now? So now I'm how do people sober. celebrate without <laughs> <laughs> because the burnt bridges with the family? Mm-hmm. I didn't participate with family events, and some of the biggest holidays were Thanksgiving Eve. Mm, the ease before the big day and tie went on and okay that's more reason you know all those Mm -hmm. things and then i found myself in early sobriety some said why don't you volunteer so i volunteered i forget at some sort of local place i was giving out thanksgiving meals and it got me out of me sitting at home being bored or being here i am again sitting in it i was doing something Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know locally some of the the programs they they have what they call meetings are always open.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: You know they don't close because of a holiday. So if you're in a twelve step program, they're available. And mm-hmm. if you're working a twelve step program, you have the use of your sponsor to call and talk about those things and utilize them. And I did do, do those things. Mm-hmm. Those thons, well, they they would call them an Alcathon or whatever mm-hmm. it be. I would attend those things because I was there and there's people other like me that would go there and they still do those things these days. So if you're having stressful dinner, I need to step out for a little bit,
5: Mm -hmm.
2: go catch an hour meeting, go talk with somebody, come back, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's always options. In the beginning, they, now there's family oriented for me. So it's changed, Mm -hmm. but early sobriety sucked.
1: Mm -hmm. Relapse is actually most likely to occur within the first um, 90 <laughs> days of recovery. So I feel like it's definitely harder for people around the holidays that are newly sober. Um, a lot of things that you guys just said like really resonated, like thinking of um, who are you around, right? Like are you around – Is does your family – Maybe also have a drinking problem and don't quite acknowledge Mm -hmm. that. Um, Are you going to be ostracized if you don't engage in Thanksgiving Eve? Um, Things like that. And being around people that understand you. So you mentioned like 12 steps in the meetings. um, Because I I think um, a common misconception is thinking, um, well, you you can have the champagne toast in New Year's. Like, hmm. like, you know, that's not a relapse. So you're just going to have like one, yeah. one drink. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something like being around people that understand and respect that like, like biologically, like you can't just have a drink.
0: I think the the other thing that people don't always plan for or consider is that their trauma triggers are also substance use triggers Mm -hmm. and nothing is more traumatizing than someone's family of origin, right? (laughs) Like we, we, like you get back into it and you see some sort of dynamic play out between mom and dad and it takes you back to that time where you were a little kid and, all of a sudden you floated all the way back and, and and you find yourself sitting in the midst of that trigger. Um, and it's not, nobody's doing it to you, right? Like it, it, they're just being who they are. Um, and you're sitting there like, man, but you're seeing it through a different lens. You're seeing it, especially once you have distance and you go back to it, it, it just lands in, in a completely different way. And I think, um, So often we plan for like, well, when I see alcohol, I will do this. Or when I see that, I'll do that. But we don't attend to like those internal states because when we're utilizing our drug of choice or lost in the disease of addiction, we lose touch with that internal state. Like we're not aware of what's going on in our body. We're not aware of what feelings we're feeling or what like bodily sensations are showing up. And then when they show up... In a place where there is a champagne toast, it's real easy to do those mental gymnastics and be like, well, I can just have a champagne toast because it's New Year's. Another, what, what seven years of bad luck or whatever if you don't get drunk on <laughs> New Year's. I don't know. I'm sure you could find whatever urban legend you want to support your path there. Um, but I think we 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 see the one trigger really easily. The other, it, it takes... Some time in recovery mm-hmm. before we really see, know, and understand what they are and what they mean for us. I,
4: to Rich's point, we don't exactly we're not exactly honest with these people who are in early recovery who've been in treatment. The reason we're not honest is when we say, "Oh, you'll love sobriety. Sobriety be this." It's like mm-hmm. Rich said, "Early sobriety sucks." Mm-hmm. Like, you're, you're in a world that you have, your whole life is transformed. You're, you're experiencing things you've never experienced. You're perceiving things you never perceived before. And they're not ready for that. They're, they, it's like that takes people back out. And so I think we, we need to be honest with people when we have them say, look, you're going to struggle. There, this is, you have to pay a price for, for, for this, but it's worthwhile over time. And he, the other thing that I was thinking is my, my favorite word in recovery is discontentedness. Hmm. I think that takes more people out than anything else because mm-hmm. I'm sitting there going, is this all there is?
5: Mm-hmm.
4: This really blows. Mm-hmm. Is this it? Yeah. And eventually <laughs> it'll be okay. But addicts are impatient people. I want that right now.
3: And the excitement that comes with yeah. the right now.
4: Yeah. I
3: mean, life, life on a day-to-day basis without the drugs and the hustle and the excitement mm-hmm. and the adrenaline is kind of boring. Yeah. I prefer that because mm-hmm. the alternative doesn't, I don't want to go to jail and I want to stay alive. So I prefer, but yeah. I remember having that conversation with so many people It'd be right. like, I get up, I go to work. I come home, I make dinner, I feed my kids, we do homework, I go to bed and I do it again. I'm like, "Yep." Yeah. That's that's what you do. And it's not exciting, but you keep doing that yeah. every day and then you get to start planning a vacation that you're mm-hmm. going to take your family on because you've worked hard every day and you've banked some money. And then you get to start planning, you know, for maybe the new home that you want to buy or the new car you want to buy. And so, but that's not quick. None Absolutely. of that happens quickly. And you're yep. right. Early recovery sucks. Yeah. Is not fun. And I think especially at the holidays, it's not fun because of all the other stuff going on that would have been really fun and exciting and drama and, and the bar scene and Thanksgiving Eve and all of those things. It's like, I can't do any of that fun stuff anymore.
4: Life just sucks. It's well, like, the, <laughs> the other thing about the holidays is they don't know how to celebrate them. Meaning mm-hmm, that right. they, 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 like Rich said, Christmas Eve, I was out there, you Mm -hmm. know, and I had kids. So we didn't know how to celebrate. And when that happens, it's like that's a whole other thing to do when I'm interacting with people on a sober basis and I'm not, you know, (laughs) under under the influence. As they say. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and going back to, you said, guilt, shame, social anxiety. Um, sometimes people use substances to self-medicate. Mm-hmm. So um, there's that piece as well. Like, do you have other coping skills to help you feel less anxious uh, besides using
0: yeah. But none of them work as well as drugs. And, no. I, and I think we need to acknowledge that, that right? Yes. Like, no, I can teach you deep breathing, right? <laughs> and, and it'll help a, l- yeah. a little. It'll help a little. But, but, admittedly, heroin, heroin will always, pound for pound, be more effective than any level of deep breathing I teach you, than any... Progressive muscle relaxation we do any guided meditation we walk through any worksheet I hand you, mm-hmm. will give you a ounce of peace, mm-hmm. but it won't be the off switch that your drug of choice was. Right. And I think we have sure. to have transparency surrounding mm-hmm. that. Like so often the clients are like, so wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me, I don't use drugs anymore, and now I. Belly breeds? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's yeah. absurd when you say it like that. But yeah, that fuck it, that's what I mean. Um, but it's hard. It's, it's hard to, like, you are selling a grossly inferior product when it comes to recovery. And it won't kill you, and it won't put you in jail, and you can probably do a worksheet maintain your family system, and you won't lose your kids, and you probably won't lose your home, and you won't be homeless. Like, there's a lot of upsides to what I'm selling, but the immediate short-term payoff, uh-huh. which is impatience, right? Mm-hmm. The immediate short-term payoff yeah. is deep breathing. Right. Yeah, you've got to be able to see the long game.
3: You have mm-hmm. to be able. And <clears throat> that's that's really hard, I just think, for humans to yeah. be able to be patient and say, this work, this really hard work I'm putting in now is going to pay off down the road. like my savings account would tell you, (laughs) you know, like it's really hard to be able to delay that gratification. I just human nature, I think. Um, and then you add in the social anxieties or some of those other things that are challenging for you. It's like, yeah, right. Like, no, I'm going to drink some beer. That belly breathing isn't going to cut it. Um, and I, so I get, I get why that happens sure
1: it's interesting too because if you think about like i even think about nicotine right so like a lot of people will go have a smoke to to calm down Mm -hmm. but physiologically it's not calming you down Mm -hmm. it's it's actually doing the opposite Mm -hmm. Uh, but how do you how do you sell that Mm -hmm. when they feel like it's calming them down
4: yeah there's another thing that goes along with addiction that we don't we don't ever talk about and that's ritual
1: Mm
5: -hmm. okay i quit
4: smoking that's fine but I was do do? addicted to the pull. I was addicted to the inhale. I was addicted to flicking the cigarette away. Mm-hmm. All that, all those mannerisms. Like I can give somebody MAT, but that doesn't take away the addiction to the lifestyle. Right. I was a I was a bad man going into bad areas that feeds my ego. Mm-hmm. So that the addiction is so much more than just. The substance itself. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it permeates the entire being of the individual.
5: Absolutely. I even
4: think, and I may get in trouble for saying this, I think to say it's a disease is to minimize it,
5: Mm.
4: actually. Because it is total, takes takes over everything. Mm -hmm. Everything. Yeah.
2: I think of some of the experiences I had, because I've had... I would say three Thanksgivings, three Christmases, three New Year's in in prison, we'll say. And they're not like home for the holidays. Mm. I can guarantee you that. (laughs) And along with being in prison, I got a mindset that was non-conducive to the outside world. Mm. Mm -hmm. It was okay in there to talk a certain way. But outside, it was not a, okay to talk that way. So coming out, I did drink because that was my plan the whole time. I did what I did, blah, 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 I was whatever. I planned it. I knew what I was going to do, and I did it. The green sheet didn't tell me I couldn't. Hmm. So they just said, don't do the thing that took you there. Okay. But addiction, as you mentioned, is very Cunning, baffling, and powerful, and patient. Oops, sorry. I forgot to turn that
4: off. So you didn't off. like the turkey roll?
2: Uh, no. Insulin. I took it earlier. <laughs> yeah, so I won't fall out like a fish. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so I just look back at some of those and how my how my mind. Even though my addiction w- wouldn't plague me physically, but just the one. I just need something to take the edge off,
5: mm-hmm. and I'll
2: be okay. So if you're at that family gathering and that one person says, oh, you're going to have one with Uncle Jim, aren't you? You're going to have one with your mm-hmm. old man, aren't you? No, I'm not. And are you ready to say, no, you're not?
5: Mm-hmm. Or
2: how are you going to be? Sure, it's only one mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: being stuck in that.
1: Ready and willing. Like,
4: yeah. 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 <laughs> well, somebody, I was out golfing with somebody one time, and they said, Jim, you want a beer? And I went, no. Why not? I, mean, I just don't want one. He goes, now I went to college with this guy. And he goes, just one won't hurt. I said, might not, <laughs> but I'm going to start thinking about two. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm going to go get two. Right? And then they might not have enough beer in the clubhouse for me, so <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to roll out to get whatever I want. You know? So, my thing with it, Addicted people, and it correlates to, the, to, the, uh, to this, the topic, is that addicted people are so fearful that they have a permanent disorder. They don't want to admit it. Because when you talk about shame, the flip side of shame is pride. And these guys got a lot of pride. They believe they're in control of something that's killing them. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I, I always try and let them know that, yeah, it's permanent, but it's not, you know, you, you can overcome it. Because we, addicts have a tendency to live in fear, and that's what we're talking about here, fear of the holidays, fear of what's going on.
2: funny you mentioned the pride I know how I described what I had when I got out of prison some people say I had a monkey on my back I had an ape on my back I described it as arrogance (laughs) pride and ego I had all that in a puffed out chest Mm. and it took the rooms and some humbling moments to realize I'm human
5: Mm.
2: I will make mistakes and it's what I do with those mistakes in how I handle them to make the difference. And it was a hard lesson learned. I hadn't relapsed since I went into the, once I went into rehab, got out, I didn't relapse, but I struggled because I still had that arrogance, pride, and ego, and I was fearful because of the outcome. You drink and drug, you go back to jail. So I had some motivation at the same time, but it was worth it, the work. The work put in of change.
0: no it, as you were talking it but how many folks are are simply sober right uh-huh. like like i'm abstinent But there's still like the hustle there's Mm -hmm. still the ego Mm -hmm. there's still the pride or some sort of replacement behavior like maybe i'm not using drugs but i'm spending a whole lot of money maybe i'm not using drugs but i'm still getting into fights um maybe i'm not using drugs but i'm still selling drugs like i've worked with folks like listen my problem was never selling drugs it was using drugs it's like that sure feels like a problem i don't know (laughs)
2: I personally became a workaholic and it was pointed out to me that, hey, why are you working so much? I thought, what's it any of your business? Just wondering. We don't see you around as meetings as much. And I thought, oh, Mm -hmm. you know, so it was pointed out in a nice way that I might be doing something else to
0: not do what I should be. And there's a lot of those behaviors that are like not socially appropriate. Uh, So we'll see people like, gosh, one of the big ones, driving too fast. How many clients do we have over the years that replaced substance use disorders with like these super adrenaline junkie? I mean, I remember one client telling me, you know, I wasn't, I was, I was addicted to drugs for sure, but what I was really addicted to was burglarizing houses. Mm-hmm. Um, like loved the patterns and the behaviors that they get like like just the high of obtaining their drug of choice and it's like well how do we replace that? and I, I think we landed on go-karting um I, I'm pretty sure yeah. that particular client was like go-karts are pretty cool I was like all right well, all right let's do it let's try some go-karts and see if that gets worse where we want to go um, but so often there's those replacement behaviors we see it replaced with, like, sex and pornography mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all kinds of things that then lead them back to that guilt, shame, blame, and then sometimes takes them right back out there again. Right.
1: So the only way, like, through it is to work through it right um so the whole sobriety versus sobriety like i think that the secret sauce (laughs) i like that yeah the secret sauce is that you have to live a life of recovery like there is no destination like it is a forever thing a forever disease um so making sure that every decision that you make think about like all the choices you made today, were those steps towards recovery or steps towards relapse? Like, I didn't go to the meeting today because I was working, right? Um, is that a step towards your recovery? Like, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, because those those earlier steps that they seem innocent when you're making those decisions, um, sometimes they build up and then lead to going back out.
3: Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to, I mean... you. A recovery is a life that is a lifetime, and it is a lifetime disease, and that sounds really scary. I would imagine, especially to someone in early recovery, yeah. it does get easier. Like I think that is imp- that is important to point out. I know we're kind of talking about early recovery, but I think we talked about earlier how life is boring, and but I I do think some of the things that we're talking about become a part of your new routine. And so it isn't always so overwhelmingly heavy, and I'm going to have to work so hard at this every day for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to have to work at it every day for the rest of your life, but it is not always going to be a white-knuckle grip. Is today going to be the day kind of thing? Um, but getting through those periods that will come requires... All of the things that we're talking about, the planning and the coping skills and all of that other, the meetings, all that other stuff.
2: I sit here and think about an event I had. Uh, it was a family gathering in Ohio, and we were all there. It was at my dad's house, and I went to a meeting. Okay. I couldn't find it. I even asked a cop in the town. That was before GPSs and all that. <laughs> I asked a cop. Yeah, I don't know where that's at. But well, I found it. <clears throat> then when I went back, uh, some family members were upset because I left. And I said, "That's on you. I need to do what I need to do for me. Mm-hmm. You know." So e- even today, some people, their families, won't or are not willing to understand how, why, or how a somebody needs to stay sober. And that's a sad truth because then those people are always gonna. As I still hear it today. Oh, you should be done with those. You be, you have so much time now. No. Mm-hmm. I do it because it's a part of that routine you talk about, that healthy routine that I had to build in the beginning. Yeah. The biggest moment for me in early sobriety was waking up and having that moment of saying, wow, I haven't thought about a drink in a while. Hmm. You know, and it's like, it was just one of those moments, you know, and to have that and then go to a meeting and share that. Hey, I haven't, you know, it's something I didn't think about because a drink was always on my mind or how mm-hmm. yeah. I'm going to get one
0: or the next thing. I mean, I love the hope that's inherent in that, right? Like someday it'll get easier. Someday it'll become a part of your routine. And maybe not easier is the right word, but simpler, more natural, more normal. It'll start to set in. Um, And I think there are days and moments and circumstances and situations that are come up and just smack you right in the face. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of a sudden, I think it's also important to recognize and guard against that notion That you can get back to where you were really quickly, even if it's only temporary. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm thinking about, like, over the clients that I've really cared about through the years and, like, their own relapses. um, And and that difference between, like, a lapse and a relapse. Um, But some of those clients, I can remember like, had a medical concern. Like, they had, like, six or eight years of sustained recovery, and then they had a really serious medical event, and they had a a doctor that didn't necessarily understand how addiction works, and maybe they didn't necessarily tell them all about Mm -hmm. the ways addiction works, and then all of a sudden they leave with 200 Percocet in a bottle. (laughs) Like, imagine that. Like, they just give you a whole bottle of this shit? That's amazing. And then all of a sudden, it they're right back in early recovery. Um, Or they have that, they meet that. I mean, I wish when I would discharge clients from the inpatient program that I could say, like, for the rest of your life, things are going to go according to plan. Like, for the rest of your life, bad shit's not going to happen. Like, it's just going to be great. Um, You're never going to be sad again. You're not going to have grief or loss or pain or suffering. And I think if I could have promised that, like we'd have way better outcomes. But unfortunately, like, life will continue to happen. And that's where, like, that disease or that lifestyle or that, like, fundamental lifelong process needs to come into play. And it's going to look different in different stages and seasons. Um, but you're going to hit a storm. And, like, how do you get through the storm?
4: I think that uh, what... Rich was saying, that's promised in 12-step. Mm. The obsession will be lifted, yeah. okay? And I go back to what I said about purpose. I mean, like, if I had a fear of alcohol, I wouldn't go into a restaurant. I, and my purpose to go to a restaurant is to eat my face off, <laughs> right? So I always have that purpose in mind. I, I don't fear Going to places like that. I don't fear being around people who are using substances, right? But I'm always (laughs) cognizant of the purpose why I'm there. Like if I go to an Eagles game, And I'm sitting is
3: there in beard, a, an
0: Eagles game. Jen? What? No, Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, right. Just a bunch of fine, <laughs> upstanding yes. citizens. Well, it would be <laughs> all in their right game. It
4: would be like a, a good anti-alcohol commercial. <laughs> if you mm. Caught sitting up. We sat up high one time. I'll never do that again. But it's not like I went to a drinking event and a football game broke out. But that's the way it is. Mm, yeah. And so, but I don't look at it like that. I'm going to see the best players in the world. At that game, play, hmm. and I paid a lot of money to do hmm. it, so I'm not gonna. Con- I'm not concerned that these guys are over here doing what they're doing and drinking and stuff like that. It does not exist.
3: But you spent a lot of time working to be able, right, to right. reframe a situation oh, yeah. like that for yourself. Yeah, and that I, comes I, with the work that you put in.
4: Right, but I, I, I don't. And when people are talking about meetings, I love AA. I do. I mean, I'm a Mm 12-stepper. I think the steps and the traditions, there's rewards. They're given to you. But you have to do the work. Mm -hmm. But I also think, and this is just me, that sometimes people become addicted to that and they don't live their life they you see them going to meetings and staying there after 20 years and it's like i got to go to a meeting i got to stay here or they become like 12-step warriors and that's not life that's not you know bill said we need to live life as life is on life's Mm terms, and so me going to a meeting three times a week or 10 times a week is not i go and i appreciate it and i'm grateful for what it's done for me but no i'm not gonna sit there you know i can do other things i can sit at home
2: especially (laughs) in early sobriety Mm -hmm. you know was key i remember when i first started going my first meeting was uh, a different one and uh, i got there late on purpose they came out i thought oh it's over Mm -hmm. We were just on smoke break. I said, "Son of a bitch!" (laughs) Now I have to go back in and do the other half, and I was still I was drinking at that point. I was just going to satisfy an outpatient requirement, and during the whole outpatient thing, I was lying. And then when I rehab, all that stuff hit. I was like, "Oh crap!" Last one they caught me first one out, and I was that guy faking it till I made it. I got eighty nine out of ninety. And I thought, I can't get that three-month coin. But on the backside of that, I thought, well, if I get that 90-day coin, I can celebrate. So my, my, my addictive mind was like, oh, you have 90 days. You can have one. So, you know, I was, you know, twisted with it. But the simplest thing I heard, you mentioned it earlier, I was in rehab. And, so, and somebody, I don't think that was in recovery, said, you know, you can never drink again. And I, oh, that, that thought hit me like a rock or a punch, like a punch in the jaw. And I think, well, I don't, I don't know about all that. Because alcohol was my lover, my best friend. It was my life. Mm-hmm. And then somebody that must have been in recovery came up. They said, you can do that a day at a time. Mm-hmm. Simplified it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because if I would have left there with just that image of I could never drink again, I would have drank again. But it was simplified by somebody, and the guy upstairs saw fit that I that person be there at the time.
1: You bring up a really good point of what's the relationship with the substance and what's, what's the loss? Um, mm. Kind of going back with, like, the loss of the lifestyle, the loss of your love with this relationship with alcohol. Um, like, it really changes a lot of things internally as well as externally,
4: too. You, you said, you asked, what's the relationship? It's a love story. Mm-hmm. It's That's a, a good book. A repulsive <laughs> addiction. <laughs> that no, I'm serious. Like addicts act the exact same way. I mean, they go through loss, grief. Okay, they're the same and I taught high school for years. They act the same way when somebody loses their first love. Hmm. They'll romanticize it even if the person was mean to them or bad for them.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Okay? They'll do the same thing with their drug when they don't have it. And I I use that in group. It's like you know you're really acting like an adolescent uh, <laughs> jilted individual. Girlfriend just dumped out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just got dumped. Yeah. It's and it's in a more serious note. Mm-hmm. Addicts in their active addiction are capable of anything. Mm-hmm. So that's a commitment to that drug too or alcohol. Sure. Yeah.
0: And then there's this idea that, well, I, I, then I'll never love again yeah. after that, right? Yeah. Um, and I think we're one not, of my biggest beefs not. with the state of Pennsylvania is when we decided to approve mar- medical marijuana for opiate use disorders. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting there thinking, what are we doing, y'all? Um, other than making a lot of money. Uh, that's working. So if the, if the purpose... Yes is to generate income, we're nailing it. We are nailing it. Um, But if the purpose is for caring for traditionally marginalized and disenfranchised populations struggling with the disease of addiction, fucking that up a little bit. Um, And when we decided to approve medical marijuana explicitly for the purpose of opiate use disorders, Like I, I, mind blown, and then there's always this idea when I'm working with clients, it's like, well, I've I now have this medical marijuana card, and that will save me from my first love, yes. and it's like, uh-uh, no, 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 it's that's the vehicle that's going to drive you back to your first love, and I'd love to see the longitudinal studies, state of Pennsylvania. I would love to see the longitudinal studies on those utilizing medical marijuana for opiate use disorders as an MAT. Because we have a ton of effective MATs. And then somehow we came up with this. Um, And so, you know, we can make some tinfoil hats later if y'all want. And um, I just don't think the purpose of that decision was to serve the client. And yet so many of them see that as like, Well, but these brilliant minds and the government and these doctors made these decisions um, and they agree with it because they want it to be true.
3: And you know what? I think, I mean, we're kind of going down a rabbit hole, but I think people who are struggling with addiction are not dumb. And I think that while they think, they see it and they're like, oh, these doctors, all of these people who are really, really smart made this decision.
0: They know. They
3: know. They know. They know, and they they are signing up for the medical marijuana because it's like, oh, now I can get high legally. <laughs> Sweet. Um, and it's all in this nice little umbrella of, like, well, a doctor recommended it. It's like mm. they're not even doing it because the doctor recommended <laughs> it.
4: Well, it's all a pattern of harm reduction. Mm-hmm. And that's <laughs> not and Now they're high for the holidays instead like, of their other substance.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm just going to go outside, take a hit, and come back in. Yeah. Well, I can't, I I
4: can't, um, as a 12-stepper, I'm not allowed to criticize any form of a person's recovery,
5: Mm.
4: but I I don't have to agree with it philosophically. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so... um, Is that where you fall? Yeah. (laughs) That's your story, and you're sticking to it. I'm sticking to
3: it. (laughs)
1: So I will say, so medical marijuana has made being an outpatient therapist, uh, drug and alcohol therapist, very interesting. Um, A lot, and again, I can't make blanket statements that cover every person, right? Because I really do think it depends on the individual and their situation. But I will say I do get a a large handful of, um, okay, who's the doctor monitoring your medication? I don't know. I got it with a Groupon coupon um, off of whatever website, right? So, so, so not being monitored. You met your
0: doctor on Groupon. Groupon. <laughs>
1: That's concerning, right? Yeah. If it's if it's off um, a okay. website like that where you don't know who it is. Um, also, a lot of uh, I notice a lot of people don't know this, but it's illegal to combust in Pennsylvania. You cannot just go buy the flower and smoke it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you, so you have to use it the appropriate ways. Um, getting a medical marijuana card means you need to go to the dispensary. <laughs> it does mm-hmm. not mean you can use it off the street. Um, another point, right? Like like driving, okay. Marijuana stays in your system about 30 days. Uh, let's say that you get a blood draw, get pulled over. You, you haven't used it in a week or two. It's in your system. Great job. You got a DUI. So um, there's just a lot of things to consider with it. Um, and I, but I totally agree with everything you guys are saying so far. So, yeah.
2: One question I ask the, the individuals I see as a CRS, I say, what would you do, especially the ones that have the medical marijuana card, what would you say if I told you i do the medical marijuana? And it was okay. They would say, well, I don't think that would be right. (laughs) And I'm thinking, you know what I mean? I just pose those questions sometimes to, you know, entice a conversation because, you know, because it was how, like Jim said, you know, I – they do what they do, and I, I have my opinions on things. I, I, my job is to be unbiased. Mm-hmm. But I ask those questions sometimes. So if I was using medical marijuana, would you look at me the same? So, or would my words fall on deaf ears, to some extent?
1: Mm. Sure. And another thing I thought of that, that you brought up for me, thank you, is too, um, so in our drug and alcohol evaluations, we get their history, right? 20 years of, of cannabis abuse um, with, uh, you know, multiple legal problems related to the cannabis abuse, but, the, but then they get a card. Um, and I, I kind of look at a prescription of marijuana the same I would look at any other prescription, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if you are shooting heroin for a long time, I don't recommend that you get, like, an opiate prescription. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not recommending medications. I'm just saying, though, like, I would definitely take that into consideration.
0: How do we, so as we find ourselves, um, and I think me- we could talk about medical marijuana for hours, so I'm going to reorient <laughs> us back to the holidays for a moment um, because I, cert- I certainly have my opinions on it. Um, how do we create traditions congruent with recovery? Versus, because folks that struggle with the disease of addiction—I shouldn't say now—I'm looking at you saying disease of addiction. Folks that struggle with (laughs) substance use disorders, (laughs) um, folks that struggle with substance use disorders, love ritual, right? Love traditions Mm -hmm. of certain types, and then when that goes away, it's kind of like lost in the wilderness. Like, what? What do I do next? Where, Where do I go? And so. How do we create traditions congruent with recovery? Where do you begin?
2: For me, I had to start new ones. Mm -hmm. You know, once I was, you know, early recovery, like I said, I was all over the place, mending those family burnt bridges or whatever, and having, being invited over to family members' homes for events, Mm -hmm. you know, and then... Creating and getting comfortable with them instead of being uncomfortable with them, and now having my own family creating those traditions, mm. you know, because like I said before, they didn't mean much; they were just another day. But now, in in early sobriety, you know, the work and okay, what do I need to do to get through this, a day at a time, and then over time, they now have meaning. They now bring joy, mm. not just oh, it's another day. So it's changed over time. It didn't happen overnight. None of this happens overnight, and there and there's work involved.
4: One of the things I I, I like to point out is, um, as a newly sober person, it's not all about me. I can make everything about me, as a newly sober person. Look at me. I'm you know I'm suffering. So I can't go here because they do this, or I can't go here because they do that, okay, with the expectation that they're going to stop what they're doing. They're not, and they don't have to. I'm the one that's responsible for figuring out a way to get around this, and a lot of times families make the mistakes of changing stuff for the, you know, hey, hide the beer, hide that, hide this, blah, 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 and it's like No, this individual has to learn and he's got to commit to that, learning that the world doesn't rise, the the sun doesn't rise and set on his behind. Because there's a lot, honestly, I know we're talking about early recovery, but addictive behaviors, manipulative addictive behaviors, are. Evident in that stage of recovery too you know.
3: mm.
4: help me, help me
3: I think the the beauty the beauty of early recovery is that it can be you can build whatever new traditions or right. r- new rituals you want and i th- I think especially of people who have kids who maybe mm-hmm. i think kids are are uh super resilient super forgiving and if mom or dad hasn't been around for Christmas for the last four or five Mm. years uh just show up Mm. be there on Christmas morning you know delighted yeah yeah and so I think um that's the beauty of it you start small man the basics just be there um and I think you build from there I think um I mean, what Jim said. How many families did we deal with, where you know, so and so is coming home for Christmas, and yeah, they were going to hide everything, and they mm-hmm. were going to completely change what they were doing, and that's weird. Like now, you've made yeah. it awkward for everybody. <laughs> like you I just made it weird. Now yeah. I just want to come home and have Christmas with my family. <clears throat> now you made it weird, and so I think um, new traditions and and not making it weird. Um, but that's the, the beauty of, of recovery and that's the good part of it. It's super, super hard. We've talked about that over and over again, but you also get to kind of reinvent mm-hmm. um, yourself and, and what the holidays look like for you. And I would say early in recovery, start with the basics. Yeah. Keep it real right. simple, keep it real simple. But if you make it through this Christmas, next Christmas, you get to do something special. You get to add something to it. You know, With each holiday that you can show up and be sober and be present, you get to add a new tradition, you get to build on that sobriety. So I think um yeah,
2: that's and you build on th- your family's trust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That the is key because you know somebody mentioned earlier I stole from, I did this and that. You build that trust. Yeah.
0: And you have to have space and grace for the fact that it's not going to be in Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I, I remember especially when I was doing a lot of inpatient work, they're like well, but I'm I'm sober now. And it's like, Yeah, but they're not a goldfish. Yeah. So they actually remember <laughs> yep. the and I last said sorry. twenty years in <laughs> I which <said> sorry. <laughs> i, said I was sorry. They remember the last yeah. twenty years in which you weren't. And so like I know it, it would be awesome if the minute you start doing the right thing, everything else falls into place. I I, I wish that was the way things work, but it's not. And so Kids are great because they do kind of have a goldfish's memory for the most part. You know what I mean? Especially the little ones. They're going to forgive you. They're going to show up. You're there. They're just delighted yeah. that you're there. Um, older kids, your parents, your siblings, that's going to take some time and some patience. Um, and it's so worth it in the end to have those authentic, real relationships that might not be pretty or perfect. Um, but are powerful. Yeah. Sure. And I don't know if um,
1: anybody else relates to this in the room, so I know we have like lots of different experts speaking, and I know, I know you're in recovery, right? Um, so I'm on the other side of that, that my dad is in recovery, and I can say that like as the person on the other side, like you just want them to be accountable and show up and just try. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, I, I every situation's different, but I think doors aren't really as closed as they seem. Sometimes, mm. it just takes time. Yeah, mm. yeah.
2: Question for you: Did you ever worry about that with your dad, how he was going to react once he got sober?
1: So he was sober for a lot of years uh, before I think he before he acted differently. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So sobriety for a while there. Okay. Yeah.
2: Because I can just picture. Our family members remembering how we were and almost living in that. Okay, what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you know, maybe not hiding everything, but acting a little bit differently because we're there now. Mm-hmm. I don't want to make say or do something that may mm-hmm. affect the outcome, and then it just changes the whole
4: atmosphere. Is that like waiting for the other Yeah. Like yeah. I, yep. Well, I deal with that. I, I mean, like I have a group of people who their children and their family members are addicted. And that's one of the things, once they get sober, they're just, they know the other shoe's going to drop. Mm-hmm. And they, they live with that anxiety mm-hmm. until they become powerless over their own feelings. Say, they say, hey, he's going to do what he's going to do, mm-hmm. and okay. I have no, nothing to do with that.
0: And it robs them of the joy in the moment. Yeah. It robs them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my um, my father-in-law was in recovery for many years and then went back into active addiction. Mm-hmm. And so we have, um, my my family's story, or my, my husband's story truly, but um, one that I've bared witness to in the last 14 or so years, he, we remember the active addiction and then there was that like sunshiny moment, right? And it's like, man, like he's here, he's present. This is amazing. Um, But I and I think I was able to enter into it and like really enjoy him during that season. My husband was waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. And so um, my father-in-law then entered back into active addiction and has subsequently passed away. And um, my husband's like, yeah, like I don't remember that because I think he was lost in like the anxiety of it. When's it going to change and what's going to shift back? Mm -hmm. And I have like the the value of the goldfish memory that I was just present with him in the, and like we had some great laughs and some wonderful moments and some fond memories. Um, and of course it hurt when we discovered that he had kind of gone back, gone back out and off to the races again. But that, that ability to be present with what is now, Mm -hmm. um, if you can do it, if you can reorient yourself back from when's the other shoe going to drop or, Oh, my God, I remember this thing you did. If you can stay here, um, man, that's a gift you're giving yourself if you're able to do it. I mean, I think for the person in addiction
3: and the family, it is literally one day at a time. Yeah. You've got today. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do with today? And it's you for the person in addiction, you're making the choice. Am I going to use today or not? And for the family, am, am I going to be present and am I going to enjoy this day? Or am I going to be stuck in what happened yesterday or what might happen tomorrow? Literally one day at a time for everybody.
4: And a lot of addicts, uh, there's a thing we talk about because they go through the prison system. Mm. So they go into jail. They give a phone call home. Hmm. And I use this in groups too because they have to know uh, that's the first good night's sleep that family got. Now, in what world... Is a jail a safe place in the world of addiction? Mm-hmm. And it, you know what I mean? That's how messed up addiction is.
3: Yeah, I can't tell you. I mean, how many, when I was working in the inpatient world, how many moms I would talk to who would just be crying because at least I know he's alive so tonight. He's sure. Yeah, tonight. I can't, can't tell you what he's going to do tomorrow. <laughs> but yeah, he's alive right now. He's alive tonight. Yeah.
4: It's bizarre.
3: It just makes me think, too. It's like, So
1: it is such a family disease. Yes. So we haven't talked yet about, like, Al-Anon, Alateen, like, mm-hmm. all the things to get the supports involved that are not in recovery themselves
3: but very much affected by their loved one's addiction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's super important, again, loop back to how do you stay sober during the holidays, Um for family members to understand that your loved one's sobriety during the holidays is not your responsibility. The world does not revolve around them and how family members can support their loved ones, but also stay healthy and set good boundaries and do all of the things that they need to do to stay healthy um, and sane during the holidays, as sane as any of us
0: can be during and the holidays. And not responsibility. Yes. Yeah. Cause I, it recall- does hit the fan. Yes. Working with families, and they're like, "Well, I'm gonna do it all for them." And yeah.
3: Like, yeah. Well, exactly like what Jim said. They're gonna hide all the Great hide, short-term plan. hide all the booze. You know, like to, nothing that he could possibly steal and pawn. And they're just gonna like put him in this padded room for the day, and it's like that's not reality because no nobody else in the world is gonna do that for them. Mm-hmm. And so that that is overkill, um, enabling. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the definition of enabling. Mm-hmm. So.
2: Yeah, hence my role in when I did the CRS training, the CFR training was sort of goes hand in hand. One one was a test, and one was an essay and some letters of recommendation. But the lived past that I experienced, and then I became an a, an alcoholic, you know. And I look at my siblings; they didn't. And I think, like, well, there, there's a resentment, but you know. But I am where I am today. And because of that lived experience with family, sometimes when I meet with individuals, they say, well, my family doesn't understand. They don't have to. Mm-hmm. They may never. Right. It's what you do and how you work with them. And I've had individuals bring their spouse and, you know, and they would ask questions. I say, well, you know, it's what you guys work together with. Mm-hmm. You know, just note that this is going on and I would mention support groups for the,
5: mm-hmm. the
2: families. You know, the hate, understanding that this is where they're at, and yes, damage was done.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: The family afterwards, that there was damage done. You know, well, I didn't hurt anybody but myself, which is a line of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You hurt everybody around you. Oh,
5: yeah.
2: Family, friends. So making, you know, that change, you're making that change, but that you have to remember it's a change for them, too, to see what you're going through. And they may not be as receptive sure. in some yeah. scenarios.
0: Y'all, we are having such a good conversation, and I need to reorient us to kind of our next segment. So one of the things that we do here on the pod is we move into questions. Um, And one of the questions submitted for the pod was like, how can people stay sober during the holidays? And I think we've done a pretty good job of answering (laughs) that one. Um, So thank y'all for answering the question before I asked it. Um, We do have a couple of upcoming pods, so I need to run through them real quick. We have one on pets and uh, their impact on mental health. Um, we have one all exploring the the good, the bad, the ugly of fatherhood. Mm. Um, and then I have my favorite holiday pod coming up, which is Die Hard is the best Christmas movie ever, and you're welcome to fight me on it. <laughs> um, so that is one of our we try to do very heavy topics and light topics and everything in between. Uh so if you have any questions for any of those upcoming pods, shoot me an email at Kim at HowtobehappyHour.com. Um, but now The one question that was submitted for today that I think is curious, and I'm gonna pose it to y'all, is what are some common misconceptions or myths surrounding recovery at the holidays that you would like to debunk in this moment?
3: I I think the first thing that comes to mind for me, and we kind of touched on it, is that family or friends can insulate Mm -hmm. um, the person struggling with addiction and can sort of control we're going to hide all the alcohol that works for the couple hours that that person is in the house, but that it goes much beyond that. And I think people just need to understand that it's not their responsibility to, um, keep an alcoholic from drinking or to keep a drug user from using drugs. Like it just doesn't work that way.
4: I once told a guy that, If they put vodka at the bottom of the ocean, you'd get a diving bell and go down and get it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, if someone wants to find it, they're going to find it. And so you could drive yourself crazy trying to keep an addict from finding their drug of choice, and they'll beat you. They'll they'll outsmart you every time. So,
4: yeah. I have one thing. Um, I hope everybody has a safe um, holiday. If somebody is trying to get you to use they're not your friend
5: mm-hmm.
4: they' if you're committed to what you need to do to get sober and they want you to use they're not your friend
3: and <laughs> and I think it's important to point out that includes the come on, it's just it's just a sip of champagne at midnight like we talked about earlier like we're not talking about the let's go back you know, in the back alley and like shoot up. Mm -hmm. It's the simpler things that I think a lot of people incorporate in their family traditions. Glass of wine at Thanksgiving dinner, uh, the champagne on New Year's Eve where someone who doesn't understand addiction Mm -hmm. uh, needs uh, to know that just because your son's drug of choice was heroin, like offering him the glass of wine at Thanksgiving, like that's not okay. helpful. Yep. Um, and, and if your family offers you that family or friends and you say no, and they press the issue, then that's probably a boundary that you need to set, um, and be mindful of.
2: Yeah. I agree with the boundary thing. Yeah, I know in some people, when I look at the holidays, it's like, I still have friends and individuals that use, and I have a boundary set with them. I I let them know, when you start acting like I used to, when I got to a certain point, I'm going to leave. It's nothing personal. Mm. You know, so even if that would be with family members, setting that hard boundary, and I used to hear people say, well, I can't leave. They may get offended. Okay, so if you stay, you drink, you drug, what would you do then?
0: Well, at least they won't be offended.
2: Yeah, they're okay, but you're not. Right. You know, so... there's no compromise in it if it's a bad situation have a plan b get out of there some people may be offended as i shared earlier i left to go to a meeting and some family well i thought that was wrong well that's your opinion Mm -hmm. i'm sober now and i'm still sober
1: and just to add more to that like to to build your village there's so much benefit to having therapy and peer supports, Mm -hmm. both um, changing your people, places, and things to people that are conducive to your goals,
2: have what you want. Um, You always have those. Oh, it's just one. Mm
0: -hmm. Hey, let's go back here. Mm -hmm. We'll burn one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think the myth that's most um, important for me to to speak to briefly is just this idea that um, you can have a, a lapse and it not become a full blown relapse. Like people can have setbacks, um, and I think it is so important. Like we always talk about relapse prevention plans. Um, a, a lesser utilized model within the field is like a relapse recovery plan. So you did relapse. Mm-hmm. How do you stop the? Like how do you stop now and get back on track? And I think mm-hmm. that was the thing that I I, I'm, I I worked through with so many clients. They're like, well, I had three years, and now what do I have? I have nothing. I'm back to square one. It's like, no, you have the knowledge that you can do it for three years. And so I think during a season that's characterized by relapse and like, please don't like, don't don't say like, I need a relapse recovery plan and then I'm gonna test it out and see how it goes. Please don't do that. That's not the model I'm proposing, but play the tape the whole way through and then decide how you're gonna get back on track if you have to. Um, because so often I had clients that said like, oh, well, how'd you stop historically? Well, I got arrested. Okay, that's one (laughs) way to do it. Um, But maybe there's a way that you could stop that doesn't involve getting back on papers. Um, And again, don't test it, don't try it, don't push it. I'm not here to say like, oh, just have a drink and then get back on board. Um, But if the worst thing possible happens what is your exit ramp and how do you use it and who do you call and how do you stop yourself before, you know, the boys in blue show up and stop you. And that's what we really need to drive towards. So, um, we used to say all the time, don't let a bad 24 hours become mm -hmm. a bad two to
3: four upstate. Yeah. Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, Stop yourself like that. (laughs) A,
1: A myth. Another myth to debunk is that, um, recovery is linear, right? Like it's got lots of dips and valleys and mountaintops. And um, sometimes relapse is part of recovery and part of those stages. So making sure that if it does happen, that you have a recovery plan that you can put in place.
2: And just note there, you know, I believe we touched on emotions earlier. You know, sometimes emotions play a role when people are going to these events, oh I really miss this and I really enjoy this and they can get caught up in those emotions and they can have a how how they dealt with it before emotionally compared to now. So <laughs> emotional is I, I use the terms with some of the individuals I see don't forget about your emotional sobriety as well. Mm-hmm. you may your body may be clean and sober, but you're, you know you you'll have those emotional ups and downs. I remember mine when I had one. I said, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I I went to a meeting, shared. I said, I'm here, I'm here. My emotions were all over the place. And then talking with a sponsor, working it through. But emotional sobriety is just as important as the physical sobriety. I can keep my body clean, but I know once that liquid goes over my tongue and down in, that change occurs. (laughs) I work with clients that said, I just did a little. And then they want to stay up here at the top of the spiral. They didn't think they were going to go down, like that penny you put in that little thing that yeah. goes mm-hmm. faster and faster. I said, dude, you're going to go down, and it's going to hurt.
4: The, you were bringing up... There's an old phrase uh, in recovery that your addiction grows while you don't use. Mm-hmm. I, again, that's another thing I don't believe because I think it's when somebody has time under their belt and addicts are not evidence-based creatures. He didn't have three... Mm. years, he lost it all, Mm -hmm. I think that shame is overwhelming, Mm -hmm. and I think that's a case of the FIs, Mm -hmm. okay, and so he's gone balls to the wall because he feels so terrible about himself, I have such respect for guys who have years under their belt they relapse, and they get back into it. Mm-hmm. That takes guts.
0: Yeah,
2: Especially right away. The next day, I heard it, you know, sitting there, I'm thinking, holy crap, mm-hmm. how they do that? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So our last segment here today is Last Call. And so Last Call is a cultural phenomenon that doesn't necessarily have to go home, but it can't stay here. <laughs> um, and today's Last Call topic is booze culture and the fact that alcohol permeates yeah. Just about everything we do, um, including the topic of this podcast. So, or I'm sorry, the title of this podcast. So, how do we support those um, struggling with substance use disorders in maintaining sobriety or recovery in a culture where? You're scrolling Instagram and it's like, look at this Christmas margarita. Um, and it's like, I didn't ask to see a Christmas margarita, <laughs> but all of a sudden, here's a Christmas margarita. Um, or uh, I, saw... I got away. You got away?
4: I used to attend bar. <laughs> Take a film <clears throat> of the men's bathroom and clean the men's bathroom at 2 a.m. at last call. <laughs> that might put you off your feed forever. Yep. How did that happen? Why is that up the hair with the high pressure hose? You know.
0: Ew, Jim.
4: Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> I know with uh, TV commercials. I know early me. for me it was a challenge because of, that cold sweat running down mm-hmm. the green bottle, mm-hmm. and now they have these commercials geared towards the holidays. Yeah. You know, family members, all this good time happening. They show the good times and then right near the end in a small printer they'll say, Please drink responsibly.
4: Yeah. And
2: I'm thinking, I never drank responsibly if I was in that scenario. Yeah.
4: And they don't. You know,
2: so just how they advertise and target during the holidays.
0: Oh, they always show like the magical Christmas moment. They don't show your crazy uncle yep. like peeing his hand <laughs> like next to a carved up turkey. But like yep. also happens, but nobody shows that particular yep. clip. Of the Christmas holiday,
4: uh, they have a lot of drunken stuff on World's Dumbest. Did you ever see that show, yeah. World's, World's Dumbest. Dumbest? Yeah, I've yeah. seen those already. Uh, there's a lot of drunk, um, crazy. I mean, accidents and stuff like that, which are not a bad thing to show.
2: They I have think. an app too, which is interesting, where you could probably look up the mm-hmm. holiday ones where individuals were under the influence.
5: Mm-hmm. How?
4: I think alcohol is like the most dangerous drug we have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: And I think we have... If you are a person who loves, cares about, even remotely likes someone who is in sobriety working on their recovery, I think it's just a matter of making a concerted effort to respect that. Like, respect that person's journey, respect the effort that that person is making. I think... I really wish there wasn't still such a stigma around being in recovery because I think sometimes it's really hard for people to even say, I mean, how many times have you been in a situation where you offer someone a drink, they say no, I know I've done it myself. Come on, just one. And, and I really, I, there's a meme out there that uh, something along the lines of normalizing, let's normalize not asking someone why they don't want to drink or something like that. It's like if someone says no, just take no for an answer. If someone says no I don't want that beer just take no for an answer you don't you don't need to know why you don't need to follow up on it you don't need to add that peer pressure um I think but I but I but it alcohol is everywhere and I think Mm -hmm. it's so easy to just fall into that if you don't really know someone's story and they say no I think the natural inclination is well why not um and that it's their story to tell if they want to tell it. It's not. It's not fair for us to push the issue or to ask questions. And I think. I think. I hope um, that that can help reduce the stigma because I. I it's still, it's still there, and and it's it's yeah. That makes it really hard for people who are trying. I think especially alcohol alcohol it, it is everywhere
0: I think it's it's this notion that addiction is a moral yeah thing. um that it, it's a problem of morality yeah. you know if you were just stronger you, just you wouldn't stop. have you yeah. would just stop or you know there's something fundamentally flawed in your moral structure yeah. that leads to addiction and I, I and I think I mean I think we can thank the Sackler family for that was, wasn't that part of their big so thank you yeah, um, for that one. For that too. Yeah, for that for that as well. Um, <laughs> the opiate epidemic here in central Pennsylvania. Also, really appreciative of that. Um, you can throw money at it anytime you want, sacklers. Um, but I think that that's like the the model, and and we we've got to get away from that
3: yeah.
0: and create space and grace. For recovery, because I think people, when they're lost in their addiction, they do they do some dark stuff, like some bad things, not good things. Um, and and people not in addiction do not good things right. too. And I think it's real easy for us. Um, like I'm not in in recovery, and I, I I've never really um, experienced like true addiction to anything but cheese, and I don't think we would count that. Um, I it's not this like. I've done stuff I'm not proud of and that I'm ashamed of and that I wish I had done differently. And I think it's so easy to kind of like have that separatist stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So to let that narrative kind of drop would be helpful.
2: One thing I can think about of is when you're at a party and you know there's booze, keep an eye on your cup. Mm -hmm. With those solo red cups, if you're not sure if there's 10 of them there and you're not sure if it's yours, don't take it, get another one. Well, because and I, so many times people, Oh, Oh, that tastes funny. Wow. Yeah.
3: And I think it's fair f- to, for someone in recovery to, sh- I'm going to show up with my own drink. I'm going to bring my mm-hmm. own, I'm going to bring yep. my own cup. Yep. I'm going to keep an eye on it. I'm going to make sure that my person is doing what I can do to maintain my sobriety, maintain my recovery. Um, bring a fun mocktail drink to share with Mm -hmm. people. Maybe someone, you know, you know, you love a mocktail. Me too. Mm -hmm. Me too. So I think, um, but yeah, you know, being aware of your surroundings and, and then being supportive.
2: Different cultures too. I know the Hispanic culture, they have a drink they make around the holidays. It's a bunch of fruit, a bunch of rum in there. You get to eat the fruit. You get to drink the rum. And it's part of the tradition for them. Mm-hmm. So somebody in the different cultures, too, they have their traditions Absolutely. that you may need to change and remind them, hey, if this is there, what are you going to do?
5: Right.
2: You know, just being mindful, again, it's booze related. Mm-hmm. But it's something they do as a family tradition mm-hmm. to have this there because of this. Mm-hmm. I forget what it's called, but I they told me about it. And I said, oh, okay.
1: Mm-hmm. And just being intentional, like I think about when when you started this off, like on my Instagram, like there will be Christmas drinks pop up, and I'm like, I don't follow this page. I don't even know how this got on my feed. <laughs> um, so really, just being intentional about maybe staying off of social media if that's what's good for you. Or um, I know there's an app called I Am, and it just like texts you positive affirmations throughout okay. the day. So being intentional about what you're filling your head with, because I think it's so easy to numb out and just fill our head with junk <laughs> sometimes. So just making sure that you're paying attention to what you're looking at and consuming. Um, and then also, like, again, who you're around. Like, I know um, JFT and Lemoyne. I know in the past yep. they've had uh, holo- sober Halloween parties. Um, so, you know, going places that have maybe, like, sober gatherings yep. if you don't feel like you're at a place where you can be around it.
0: Yeah. I want to thank you all come together here today having a fantastic conversation. Um, My hope is that uh, the conversation that we had here today can hopefully help either clinicians or those in recovery navigate the holidays in a way that is safe. Um, We have a few upcoming pods. We've got pets coming up. Um, We've got fatherhood um, and a few other topics. I think we're going to tackle New Year's resolutions at some point as well. Um, So thank you all for listening and um, we hope you all have a safe and happy holiday season.